2001, A Space Policy. I'm Wes. I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Your interest in science fiction as well, was that uh, through other television, movies, books, comics, that kind of thing? Uh, comic books, for sure. Uh, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I, I was into Spider-Man as a kid. And all the comic book heroes, really, collected all the cups at 7-Eleven, you know, with all those heroes, the Flash and the Hulk and all that. But any science fiction worked for me back in the day. And I was, I mean, I loved most movies, um, except for Westerns. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I was not interested in Westerns. (laughs) But I love Westerns now because living in China for 10 years, I watched lots of Westerns because I love the landscape because you don't have those landscapes in China. Mm. And I really fell in love with Westerns. And I, I also had to to read, not read, but watch uh, uh, John Wayne's Red River for the Full Metal Jacket article. I, I had to find out what that was about because I think that's mentioned in the Full Metal Jacket film. After being removed from the culture, like being in China, being literally on the other side of the world and now seeing America maybe from a different point of view. Absolutely. And definitely seeing John Wayne from a different point of view. Mm. I mean, he was such a hero to so many people growing up in the in the 40s and the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then I think it changed. Um, he was n- not so much the hero that everybody wanted. But mm-hmm. I think with Red River, I think it's is it John Ford that, that did that movie? Yes. And I haven't seen Red River. I've seen several of the other Ford Waynes, but I haven't seen Red River. His acting goes up a couple of notches mm. in that film. I think John Ford was able to pull everything he could out of Wayne, and that, it's a good representation of his range, I guess. But if you could, if you look at uh, his Vietnam War, we we had the un- misfortune of of listening to his Vietnam album. <laughs> <laughs> Does he sing? He he speaks, sings like <clears throat> like late Sinatra style with this very patriotic band speech singing these really cringy lyrics about the the old home football games and the way it used to be and and the kids today are not you know appreciative and it's just really tone deaf and cringy <laughs> very true i think i saw something like that floating around on uh on twitter it's funny <laughs> it's funny but it, you can't take it for too long because it'll make your skin crawl <laughs> yeah it's like he should have just given it up and then the propaganda film that he that he made about the uh, special forces in Vietnam mm. was just over the top and too much for me. And I, I was in the Navy myself. I was going to ask you about this. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that um, colors your perspective on this? I, I think the, the way the military is, it's very different from what from the way it's portrayed in movies. Um, and I think that's portrayed in, in Full Metal Jacket a lot, too. Mm. 
Yeah, having been in the in the Navy, having been in the military, it, it gives you a different perspective on things. And it really helped when I had to write about Full Metal Jacket. I mean, my boot camp experience was very much like hmm. the the way it's depicted in in Full Metal Jacket. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. And it's harsh. Mm-hmm. It's, it can be very harsh, just like it's portrayed there. From now on, you're Gomer Pyle. Sir, yes, sir. Do you think I'm cute, Private Pyle? Do you think I'm funny? Sir, no, sir. Then wipe that disgusting grin off your face. Sir, yes, sir. Well, any fucking time, sweetheart. Sir, I'm trying, sir. Private Pyle, I'm going to give you three seconds. Exactly three fucking seconds to wipe that stupid-looking grin off your face or I will gouge out your eyeballs and skull-fuck you. One, two, three. Sir, I can't help it, sir. Bullshit, get on your knees, scumbag. Now choke yourself. God damn it, with my hand, numbnuts. Don't pull my fucking hand over there. I said choke yourself. Now lean forward and choke yourself. Are you through grinning? Sorry, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sorry, yes, sir. Bullshit, I still can't hear you. Sounds off like you've got a pair. Sorry, yes, sir. You are dumb, Private Papa. Do you expect me to believe that you don't know left from right? Sir, no, sir. Then you did that on purpose. You want to be different. Sir, no, sir. What side was that, Private Pile? Sir, left side, sir. Are you sure, Private Pile? Sir, yes, sir. What side was that, Private Pile? Sir, right side, sir. Don't fuck with me again, Pile. Get up there, Pile. Pull. Pull, Pile, pull. One pull up, Pile. Come on, pull. You gotta be shitting me, Pile. Get your ass up there. Do you mean to tell me that you cannot do one single pull up? You are a worthless piece of shit, Pile. Get out of my face. Get up there, Snowball. Get up here, fat boy. Quickly, move it out. Move it out, Pile. Move it out. You climb obstacles like old people fuck. You know that, Private Pile? Get up here, you're too slow. Move it, move it. Private Pile, whatever you do, don't fall down. That would break my fucking heart. Quickly, up and over, up and over. Well, what in the fuck are you waiting for, Private Pile? Get up and over. Move it, move it, move it. Private Pile has dishonored himself and dishonored the platoon. I have tried to help him. But I have failed. I have failed because you have not helped me. You people have not given Private Pyle the proper motivation. So, from now on, whenever Private Pyle fucks up, I will not punish him. I will punish all of you. And the way I see it, ladies, 
You owe me for one jelly donut. Now get on your faces. Open your mouth. They're paying for it. You eat it. Ready? Exercise. One, two, three, four. Do you feel like maybe what happens with Private Pile is maybe almost the next logical conclusion to somebody that's almost about to crack? You think that there are a lot of people maybe that go through that process that have that fantasy and just don't follow through with it? What is this Mickey Mouse shit? What in the name of Jesus Christ are you animals doing in my head? Why is Private Pile out of his bunk after lights out? Why is Private Pile holding that weapon? Why aren't you stopping Private Pile's guts out? Sir, it is the private's duty to inform the senior drill instructor that Private Pile has a full magazine and is locked and loaded, sir! Now you listen to me, Private Pile. And you listen good. I want that weapon. And I want it now. You will place that rifle on the deck at your feet and step back away from it. What is your major malfunction, numbnuts? Didn't mommy and daddy show you enough attention when you were a child? Yeah, at least in my boot camp company, and you've heard about others where mm -hmm. people dropped out for this reason or that reason. This is this isn't what I expected, or mm -hmm. or this is actually too much for me. And in in Vietnam, there was the McNamara 100K, where they decided to recruit um, people who just weren't ready for the military. And Private Pile is definitely a, a, looks like a betrayal of that. Mm -hmm. Joker. Everybody hates me now. Even you. Nobody hates you, Leonard. You just keep making mistakes. Getting everybody in trouble. I can't do anything right. I need help. trying to help you, Leonard. I'm really trying. Tuck your shirt in. And, and it's very sad because, you know, he could have made it and he could have cracked. And he, he shows that he can fire a weapon mm -hmm. very well. He, can, he sings the, um, the Rifleman's Creed very well, like a champ. But in other ways, he can't tie his shoes. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot going on with Pyle, and I wish I could have written more about Private Pyle uh, because there's a lot of depth to that character. And maybe one of the links from what uh, I was reading earlier, what you were discussing in our emails, it made me think just now of, of maybe that was one of the links and kind of the systematic failures going on in, in Vietnam is the, the inability, the, the failure for people like a Private Pyle 
type who um, was promised maybe a different situation than what they can handle and there's no place for them. And maybe that takes place later. Maybe that's after boot camp. Maybe that takes place when they're already in action and things go to pieces. I'm, I'm curious about how you feel like there seems to be a break in, in what the film was trying to say and what the film has become in popular culture just by Arlie Ermey kind of being enshrined in pop culture, being on the History Channel, doing that character for so many years, almost mm -hmm. taking some of the edge off of it. You think that's true? I think Kubrick was very good at incorporating real things into his magical medium. Mm -hmm. You know, this this could segue very well into 2001. It's it's always sort of trying to root itself into reality, some sort of reality. The thing with Pyle is, and why I felt so sorry for him, because I, I believe that he knew if he didn't make Rifleman and gain that respect, that he was he was doomed in Vietnam. Mm. And he was a good rifleman. Hartman comes over and tells him that. He's like, I should make you one um, rifleman in my, whatever he calls it, his, yeah. uh, not army, but his Mickey Mouse Club, really. Yeah. And it turns out that when you're watching them parade at the end of the first half, mm -hmm. when they're graduating boot camp, and you can see Joker in front with Pyle and Cowboy, and maybe somebody else holding a flag, perhaps, a company flag, you can see that Joker was given the rifleman's qualification and not pile. Everybody mm -hmm. else is wearing the same, same credentials except for Joker. For some reason, whatever he did, mm -hmm. he gets it. And it's hard to see. It's hard to, to you're not going to see that just watching the film. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, you're going to, you're not going to catch that. And Kubrick is very good. This is a really good example of Kubrick's nuances. Today, you people, are no longer maggots. Today, you are Marines. You're part of a brotherhood. From now on, until the day you die, wherever you are, every Marine is your brother. Most of you will go to Vietnam. Some of you will not come back. But always remember this, Marines die. That's what we're here for. But the Marine Corps lives forever. And that means you live forever. There's a quote, I think, is it maybe uh, Jack Nicholson talking about how Kubrick saying that that rather than than being a picture of reality, that cinema was supposed to be a picture of a picture of reality, which wow. fits along wow. with this idea that maybe there's another layer, like a personal layer that you have to go through. You have to you have to be inside the head of the director or the creator of this piece of art in order to understand where these themes are coming from, where they're going. Man, you would just hit the nail on the head, and I don't. You guys want to have some fun real fast? Yeah, yeah, let's do. So what you just described is called the Drost effect, correct? Okay. All right. So it's a picture within a picture or a painting within a painting. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, you've just described a technique called Maison beam, which is incorporated by Maison Sen. Okay. Are you, are you with me on these two concepts? Yes, definitely. Okay. So, maze on a beam is, is strictly just picture within a picture. Maze on a beam means go, going into the abyss. And it's like 
putting two mirrors to each side of you mm. and you're just your legs would just go on and on and on it's called mirroring if and it, this is what this is what you're seeing that's beautiful folks if if you've ever seen orson welles lady from shanghai there's some examples of this if you've ever seen wow. a, a fractal Benoit Mendelbrot, yeah, Mendelbrot <clears throat> set. Uh, it's a similar idea of a, an image that goes on into itself into infinity. Is, am I right in saying that's kind of yeah. close to your? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. So this this takes us into a whole other level of. And we haven't even broached allegory. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have a gr you have such a beautiful sentence in here. I, I'm not going to take the time to root through it right now, but about about allegory that's just you know, it's chef's kiss. <laughs> okay. Really, oh, I I really appreciate that. So let's let's continue on with mise on a beam a little yeah, bit because sure. I'm not done. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> I'm not done with the fun. All right, but let's uh, let's can we all agree that some of the themes of Kubrick is pedophilia and incest warfare is one warfare the warfare is in there but let's go with the resurrection and and resurgence i guess or rebirth mm. definitely in there mm -hmm. what else murder especially um homosexuality mm -hmm. definitely thrown in there periodically mm -hmm. um no pun intended for barry linden there <laughs> <laughs> what else do we have oh and jealousy mm-hmm uh, especially with Eyes Wide Shut. Yes. So if one of you guys can go look up the definition for maze on a beam in Wikipedia, then can you go all the way to the bottom of that page? I think there's a there's a examples of maze on a beam. Did you find the examples of maze on a beam? There should be an old Hogarth painting, William Hogarth, I believe. It, it should be called Marriage a la Mode. Wow. Good luck piecing this all together. <laughs> we, we have conversations that are crazy circuitous all the time. So <laughs> I listen. I listened to episode 14. Uh, I, I think it was Origins of Hal. Oh, OK. And I thought, what an interesting way to talk about this subject. And you got I'm so glad that you brought up the fact I think it was was it Brad or or no, it was Wes who was talking about in the 2001 book that our Clark had included the information that the orbiting satellites were in fact nuclear, they were weaponized. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I thought, oh my God, these guys are talking my language. <laughs> uh, because that's what I used to do in the Navy. Okay. I dealt with shipboard missile defense and detection. Wow. And we also, and that's called electronic support measures. Mm. And we also did electronic countermeasures and electronic counter countermeasures. So we we jammed stuff. Wow. And we were we were able to listen to the radar and determine which platform was what through the signature of the radar and things like that. And if it was a missile, wow, and That's things like that. And you, if you you could determine a platform by its frequency also, if it's mm. high or mid range or low. You could tell exactly what it is, um, even down to the even down to the missile itself and the and the ship itself. And back in '90, when I was in the Navy on an aircraft carrier, um, you know the Russians were were who we were tasked with uh, defending uh -huh. against, and China was only up and coming. 
but and and that's that's all blank that's all covered under the umbrella of electronic warfare mm. and that, and that's what i did and it's it came with a security clearance and um we got intelligence briefings like i was on the independence august 2nd 1990 uh mm. when iraq invaded kuwait Ooh. and we were we were already on station out by the persian gulf no way. we were actually nearby diego garcia when we found out we were going up to the gulf oh wow and we were on station for about four months there preparing for war wow. but uh and so the the missile idea is very interesting because the, the the nuclear missiles at the end of the film are missing they're now gone mm -hmm. and i don't know if you want to work it backwards a little bit but those you know that was probably one of bowman's wishes mm. I can and this that. is this is where 2001 and the shining start to connect Okay. Because The Shining is a lot about space flight also, very abstractly. Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you, Danny's sweater is yeah. got the Apollo 11 on yeah, it. Right. The, actually the carpet looks carpet. a lot like the, 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 the launch pad at NASA. Um, the carpet itself looks somewhat abstractly like the USS Enterprise or the discovery it's in there and it looks like it's got a big red dot with how like a computer it's very it, this is art we're talking about mm -hmm. this is abstraction um apollo 11 actually flew 237,000 miles to the moon it's very well documented jeez it's very well documented so we're we're kind of in danny's dreams here we're in like a projection i guess but there's a definitely a connection between bowman and Danny Torrance, where Bowman is turned into a child. And now this is, you know, this is about uh, rebirth. I mean, probably Bowman's wishes were one, you know, get rid of all these missiles. Yeah. Let's have world peace. Yeah. Two, put me in orbit and in a flight path between the earth and a moon in the moon, because that's what I want to be doing when I get off this ship. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, three, they, they, I don't know, they act me out. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow the aliens act me out that then they put him in his own pod. He arrived in a pod and they mm -hmm. put him in on his own human pod now. And now he's, he's kind of got a, he's kind of a mixture of binary and non-binary. He's got a little bit of howl in him. He's a he's a mixture of these two, because remember, the the pod had a connection to how. Yeah, at least by radio. So we've got a real stay with him to the end. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it just about stayed with him into the end. So you have this kind of fly situation, this Vincent Price fly thing. Incredible. You know, and and how incredible is that? That's like awesome. I, I, I just. Like this is not that good of a thing. Like, is yeah. he is he now doing this because that's what they thought he wanted and that's what they gave him? But he, they didn't ask him. Maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I feel sorry for Bowman now. Yeah, right. Because he's stuck here in this pod and he's looking at he's looking at the audience, yeah. probably wondering like, hey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but there's a lot going on with with so there's a lot going on with Bowman's character, and there's a lot going on with Hal. 
Oh, we have to add in here that the bathroom is always is often a theme. Not only often, always. Oh, it's yeah, always in there. That, yeah, <laughs> the bathroom bandits. <laughs> Did you? Oh, and Brasco antagonists or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was, and ingenue powder room ingenue. Fantastic. So you guys read that. All right. Mm -hmm. So great, great. And you're talking a lot about characters who are manifesting a transition, for mm. the, but Bowman ev evolving. And of course, how this is a mind blowing part where you're talking about how being trans human identifying in a reverse Pinocchio sort of way of, you know, having to kill Geppetto in order to become the real boy. And in both of those cases, um, we're, we're talking about manifesting the next stage of your reality. Um, and so I guess Danny fits into that too, right? Because uh, uh, thanks to Tony. What about Tony? He's looking forward to the hotel, I bet. Tony, Mr. Torch. Now, come on, Tony. Don't be silly. I don't want to call them Mrs. Torch. Well, how come you don't want to go? I just don't. Well, let's just wait and see. We're all going to have a real good time. There's a... Uh a way that he is able to save his himself and his mom like foreshadowing things to himself in a fractured mind in the same way that we have this like he's not maybe a reliable narrator in the same way that Hal or is not a reliable character not trustworthy but we find oh yeah there's different dimensions to him what is there about that do you think about the idea of characters that are making these transitions almost in a a otherworldly way or a, a supernatural way. I find it very interesting that Danny turns out to be more supernatural than, than he's made out to be in the movie. Mm. Um, I think Danny's projecting mm -hmm. a lot more. Uh, I think he's projecting with the, with the help of the house, mm -hmm. with the help of the overlook, because the overlook is looking for power, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's looking for power, mm. but you notice everybody's been in the bathroom in that movie. <laughs> including the bathroom in the hotel. Yeah. I mean, the bathroom, the hotel is the bathroom. Uh -huh. and, and if I'm right about it's the antagonists, the Kubrick's antagonists, which are hard to find because there's so many antagonists. Mm. They're all in the bathroom. Grady's in the bathroom. Nicholas is in the bathroom several times with his wife. Mm. She's in there with his kid, with her kid, with Danny. Mm. Um, uh, Ripper kills himself inside of a bathroom. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he started the whole thing, right? Yeah. With uh, in Dr. Strangelove. Absolutely. I happen to believe in a life after this one. I know I'll have to answer what I've done. I think I can. Yes, well, of course you can, Jack. Of course you can. You can. I'm a religious man myself, you know, Jack. I believe in all that sort of thing, and uh, I'm hoping, you know, Jack, you dropped your gun, Jack. Yes. You know what I'm here? Yeah, no, Jack, let me take that for you. I'll take that for you, Jack. And uh, you know what I'm hoping, Jack? I'm hoping you're going to give me the code, boy. That's what I'm hoping. And uh, well, you're going to have a little wash and brush up, are you? What a good idea. Always did wonders for a man, that, Jack. A little wash and brush up, water on the back of the neck, and makes you feel marvelous. That's what we need, Jack. Water on the back of the neck and the code. Now, now, supposing I play a little guessing game with you, Jack boy. I'll try and guess. I'll try and guess what the code is.
Is there a bathroom? Well, I guess Lolita, there's a bathroom scene with Humbert. He's definitely yeah. the protagonist. Yeah. He was in the bath after the after the fact, and he caused his wife to do that. She splashed in the tub. A trustful, clumsy seal. And all the logic of passion screamed in my ear. Now is the time. But what do you know, folks? I just couldn't make myself do it. The scream grew more and more remote, and I realized the melancholy fact that neither tomorrow nor Friday, nor any other day or night, could I make myself put her to death. I mean, you're really smoking our minds with... <laughs> I think we've both just been running hot the last couple of minutes trying to think of all these connections, right? Smoke up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, have you been able to find that painting by yeah, Hogarth? Yeah, I pulled it up. Marriage a la mode. And what's the painting called? The Toilet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, tell me, tell me what's inside that painting. All right, so we've got... Yeah, we've got, it looks like uh, several people in a reclining position, reading, smoking. Now, tell me, tell me about the paintings in the, in the painting. Okay. Because that's what this is about, right? Back here behind these people who are reclining in this bathroom, we've got, uh, looks like some potential lovers embracing you've got a wife you got a, a, a widow in there you got you have the widow's new lover i think okay you have somebody who's also being cuckolded mm -hmm. and then i believe the the man on the left side i'm not looking at the painting but the man in the picture on the left side is the former husband okay who's now deceased and we don't know why <laughs> we don't know how, how or why um apparently this kind of tradition of holding a funeral party inside of the the big a big bathroom such as that mm. was just in really bad taste back then and hogarth decided to depict it but we're so there's a painting of the the the, the dead husband now but there's another there's several other paintings in there mm -hmm. and if you could just we've got if a, you could find them we've got a man who looks like george frederick handel or something or bach then we've got like a someone's being like spirited away by a entity yeah well there's a, there's a there's a painting of a masquerade oh there's a painting okay. yep. there's a painting of the, jupiter and io there is a painting of I, I don't know if i'm saying this right ganymedes oh okay uh with his daughters oh. which gives you the incest Okay. And then there's another painting in there that I think is important, but I can't remember it. But everything that Kubrick's done theme-wise is in that painting. Wow. Maze hmm. on a Beam. So I was just going to write a, a very quick article on The Shining after I finished the Odyssey brief. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Yeah. So I started pounding out, out of my head, mm -hmm. something on The Shining. And then I found all this academic stuff. Wow. Okay. This is also, yeah, you could even, without seeing what we've just had pointed out to us, a person could kind of read some similarities just in the theme of the painting, the, the kind of bacchanalian poses that these people have and this kind of irreverence and uh, maybe seediness going on. You could kind of think of that as being a little bit like what's going on uh, in the overlook after hours with the ghosts. There, there's also, I guess there's one more thing mm -hmm. about William Hogarth oh. is that I believe his next painting down 
like maybe number three mm. in Marriage a la Mode uh-huh. was depicted in Barry Lyndon. Oh. So here is Kubrick hinting at clues in a very, very nuanced way, of course. Mr. Redmond Barry. The last occasion on which we met, you wantonly caused me injury and dishonor in such a manner and to such an extent as to which no gentleman can willingly suffer without demanding satisfaction, however much time intervenes. Talking back to Hogarth and talking about images within images, certainly the idea of, of charting an image and working off of a map like the World's Fair in Clavius. Here's a man who plotted every shot that they ever made in Africa on a grid with a map and a bunch of Polar ones that mm. flew some people out the yeah, day. Sent those poor people out to yeah. <laughs> quarters. So he's totally taking big plans out of maps and pictures all the time when he's planning these films. That's interesting. Yeah, you, I gotta wonder where he took all those shots. Oh. That would tell a story, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if we could go back to all those places and that take would shots be now, a great. You know, somebody needs to you know to do that documentary going back to back to the dawn of man. I, I believe there's there's a painting of a restaurant. Somebody else pulled that out, and I thought that was brilliant. And I had to email him, and I told him everything I knew, and I never heard back from him. Hopefully, hopefully he didn't uh, just take it and run. Look at this. This is wow. Okay, got to pull out the Barry Lyndon Blu-ray after we get off tonight. Let's look at this. This is amazing. Oh, and actually, yeah, the Wikipedia. Capture if anybody wants to look up the marriage a la mode set. Um, they're good resolution on Wikipedia. You can really get into the details there. Here's my promise that I made to you guys about um, The Shining. So here I'm going to break out The Shining for you or break it down for you using Mise on a Beam. Okay. So if Mise on a Beam is, is sort of a reaching out of a story into another story, The Shining does this in at least four different ways probably five or six, as much as a the size to a hexagon. Mm. Um, but for you guys, if you didn't know, hexagons symbolize meaning. Hmm. Octagons symbolize rebirth and resurrection and mm. things like that. Bones, bones also symbolize uh, rebirth oh. and the transitory and things like that. Mm. So this is where you, you, you're, and The Shining is definitely has a lot of resurrection in it. Um, in a lot of interesting and different ways um, in the ways that it's depicted. Um, and that's that's why 2001 and The Shining are, are so similar in so many ways. Um, the, there are some of these things that are just like, my, my jaw hit the floor on page four. Well, my jaw hit the floor a few times with some other correlations, but when we get to the gamut of similarities between 2001 and The Shining, we start with the twin girls considering them as the Gemini, which of course, astrologically, they are. We've got the idea of Danny being in, in front of the stars, kind of in a revelation in a similar way that the ape is kind of standing in revelation of the eclipse. You've got... Mm -hmm. The idea of the NASA Gemini program, 
which is right before the Apollo program, which is the sweater that Danny's wearing. And then, then the Stanley Hotel, Stanley Hotel, which uh, folks may remember we covered. Uh, you can go stay there and have nightmares in episode 10 or 11, I think. There we have a mountain called Twin Sisters Peak. Right in front of the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> like you could walk to it. <laughs> and that, I don't know why I was looking at a map. I was looking at, I was looking at a map and I had lived in Colorado for several years writing my book and then mm-hmm. writing these articles in a cabin. And part of my book was written in China also, but I wanted to leave China because I thought the book should be written here. Mm. So, Route 36 that heads up, I guess, through Boulder and then up around into Estes does some very interesting things. And the way it's depicted in the film is just like that. Um, but the exit, the exit that's like snowed over, mm-hmm. like it's, it's the exit sign that's kind of got snow on it in the, in the film. Yeah. That exit is approximately 217. And, <laughs> and it's yeah. sort of erased out with snow. No. <laughs> Wow. Mm. Yeah. And that's when, I, because I was looking at the map, I started just looking around the Stanley a little bit for whatever reason, because I, I think there, it wouldn't be the first time that Kubrick's referenced something on a map, probably like, like the, the map to the world's fair looks mm-hmm. just like the Calavius base in 2001. And What's... discovery is one of the most powerful things you mm. can come across in your life. Discovery revelation. This is this is we've been kind of going into the weeds on Arthur C. Clarke here with a couple of episodes just about him. And man, that's the that's the core of that man, isn't it? I mean, he's jumping around, uh, hiking up mountains or scuba diving, anything to discover. And transhumanism is such a, a, a was such a big part of the international geophysical year in 1957. It was a very big subject amongst all the other scientific breakthroughs or science that was happening together around the world. It was one year of the whole, the entire globe getting together and working together and forgetting all their uh, problems that they had with each other in a way. Science, you know, it looked good for the future. And transhumanism was a big subject. And and Pinocchio is very much as as a as a child from a child's point of view pinocchio is is the essence of all that Mm -hmm. and i think you know there's a little bit of pinocchio and danny torrance there's a little bit of pinocchio and hal a lot of pinocchio and hal yeah and who was who was hal's father i don't think i mentioned this in the article i didn't want to go i dr chandra was dr chandra but i think dr floyd was daddy okay and dr floyd stop calling uh-huh. and so you could run the gamut of reasons why Hal wanted to unhook the antenna i mean there's so many reasons why i mean because he's mad at dr floyd you know he's getting he's getting some some transmissions that are from unknown sources which mm-hmm. is bad there could be jamming there could be he, they're trying to navigate him away which is called meekening Mm-hmm. They they could be all kinds of things could be happening with that antenna, but Hal wants to become human. He wants human legs, really. I mean, in a funny way, you know, because his his whole body has human elements. His his whole ship has a head and a, a body and maybe a dress. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's on. Un- it's, it's uncanny. Yeah. 
the heat exhaust fans. Yeah, 100%. Can we talk a minute back about the bathrooms to your connections with the Stonewall Inn? Ah, that took a bit. But that was that was a that was a big watershed moment when when I made the, the call to the Stonewall Inn in New York City and they answered the phone and I said, do you mind? I'm, I'm writing about uh, this. Sh- well, I'm writing. I'm just writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just writing. I don't think I mentioned The Shining. I said, could, could you just tell me what what color your bathrooms are? And they said red and white. Mm-hmm. And I thought if if where's if. If Kubrick is more of a zeitgeist, like I think 2001 is, mm. and The Shining is a zeitgeist of its own time, and 2001 is a zeitgeist of its own time, mm-hmm. um, The Stonewall was a big, big changing event for homosexuals. Absolutely. I mean, it was ground zero for their fight for rights. And uh, and also the advocate, that's the advocate drink. If you if you run that through the, you know, what that could possibly mean, Uh I mean, it's, you know, politicians and and lawyers like to drink that because it's soothing to their throat because they talk about one. I think I'm going to have a sip of mine right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Advocates all around. but if you if you take it in an abstract way, mm-hmm. you could definitely consider that it's part of the timeline that Jack is paralleling with 1920s, mm-hmm. which are the gay 20s, by the way. Yes. And you come across in 1967 Advocate magazine. And it's still going today. Which and, and these are these these themes that are so well nuanced are the furthest thing from the social conversation that anybody's ever having. Yes. They don't they don't talk about these things and it's it, this is this is the conversation that needs to be had. Absolutely. I mean, isn't everybody looking for transhuman humanism somehow some, some way? way? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, in so many ways and 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 how relevant is this stuff today? Even more relevant than it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. We've been talking about that, especially just the last few weeks. There's... We're, we're going to get into the politics eventually, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> we, can we talk a little bit just about this about the zeitgeist that we were were introducing um, with the late sixties, where we have uh, a, a really a, a sl- be- before the warming of the Cold War, uh, and then also we've got uh, a, a big. Um, cultural upheaval going on here in this country and Britain and elsewhere. Um, we've got the sexual revolution. We've got a counterculture and anti-war movement, a college uh, protests. And as you say, then as well, as well as a sexual awakening. So what, sure. what um, how much does that flavor what we're seeing here? A tremendous amount. I think a tremendous amount because it was so far from the the conversation that society had been having in the 60s but it was covered by Diane Arbus or Diane mm. Arbus rather in in her work of filming people out on the street and in the parks she filmed trans people and this was I don't, you know kind of verboten in society yeah. the twins 
in The Shining were, were shot by her mm-hmm. and included in the book on photography by Susan Sontag, which is referenced in The Shining by way of an abstract means because uh, illness as metaphor, Sontag's other book is on the, the coffee table oh. in the apartment. Dang. Did I work that back okay? That's beautiful. I'm quite sure there's nothing physically wrong with Danny. Yeah? Oh. Yeah, he seems absolutely fine now. But you should have seen him. I know. Kids can scare you to death. But believe me, these episodes are not at all uncommon. And they look much worse than they are. But, uh, what was the matter with him? Mrs. Torrance, most of the time these episodes with kids are never explained. They're brought on by emotional factors and they rarely occur again. They're more akin to auto-hypnosis, a kind of self-induced trance. If it reoccurs, which I doubt, we can always think about having some tests done. No, thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you're right. We were talking about this the other week. When when change happens and the friction comes, that that friction bubbles things up to the surface that were always there, but they weren't directly in conflict. And with all of Kubrick's films, you can see whether it's the hubris of of a specific character or just human nature or whatever. You you can see how things are playing out on a on a level that makes sense. So it's why it's interesting that that we're going to get a Napoleon series mm. based on. You know, that script, finally. Yeah. We're, we're wondering what that'll have to say about where we are right now uh, when when so many of us have Napoleon complexes online. <laughs> if <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go you, When you go to a reincarnated club party and two people show up as Napoleon, <laughs> what is what is Stephen going to do with that? I, I trust Stephen to do a lot, but he's going to do Steven more than he's going to do Stanley probably. Yeah. I would think because that's what he did with AI. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, we keep talking about what Kubrick's vision of AI, you know, must have been compared to what we got, but there's still a lot of Kubrick in there. That you there would have been something out. something secret and you know, filmed very in a very compartmentalized uh fashion like he did Eyes Wide Shut. I heard I heard that uh production was just absolutely you know, locked down and only mm. only to the bare bare uh, needed personnel. Wow. But and that and that sounds just about right. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to give away his his the narrative that he's trying to to draw in his in, you know visually in his pictures. He's never been known for working with a, a really large crew either, right? Because I would say this is the last time he worked with a big studio crew, isn't it? I mean, even Barry Lyndon as epic as it is, was a kind of an indie size crew. So what it, what it gets us down to is the idea that his independence as a filmmaker is, is down to the fact that he has the ability to control his sets in a way that almost nobody else ever could. Cause who else is getting away with 120 takes of anything? It was crucial, especially to keep costs down, mm-hmm. I think. Um, uh, and, and keep his story, to himself and nobody else. Yes. I, I mean, how he did it in The Shining, I mean, it must have been just a couple of people on set and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, just enough, especially to keep costs down, but to keep, I don't know what he's filming down. Yes. 
Like there's so much in the apartment in Boulder from The Shining that it speaks realms. Mm. Absolutely. That whole place just speaks realms from his, the big bite out of his peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm -hmm. to the Star Trek phaser next to him on the table. That is such an angle. You're not going to, you can almost not recognize it. And you're distracted by something else, of course, that's going on. And you're not going to notice these other things. He knows where you're going to look. Mm -hmm. Man was brilliant. Sleight of hand magical. In my in that scene, I'm always thinking of that Roadrunner jingle in the background, whatever the little cartoon song is. That's that, always in my head. That episode is the is like the very first episode, and it actually shows a picture of both Coyote and no the Roadrunner. Yeah, and it's about a train. A train comes by and just rolls over Coyote, I guess. But somebody picked that out years yeah. and years ago, and I picked up on that. I'm like, oh, I'll throw that in the book. That helps. Oh, no boy. That's amazing. Because that I'm going to have to look that up tonight because it gets stuck in my head. I want to I want to put it on my phone as an alarm so that I always have it. <laughs> just step aside or you might end up in a heap. I'm just gonna go and talk to Daddy for a few minutes. And I'll be right back. Now I want you to just stay here and watch your cartoons, okay? Okay, Yes, Mrs. Torrance. That is nuts. Um, but but it kind of goes back to how Danny is seeing things too, maybe. From a child's perspective. From a child's perspective. That's the funny thing about The Shining is that those car cartoon characters all together, Roadrunner and the Coyote, um, uh, Winnie the Pooh, mm. Bugs Bunny, um, they all had movies in 1977. They were resurrected from what they used to be uh -huh. into full length theater going movies now. Um, so they got resurrected and there's, there's other ways you can look at the resurrection as well. Star Trek as depicted in the film also had a film and was resurrected. Mm -hmm. Um, so you get the theme of the resurrection there, you know, and rebirth and things like that from from just those cartoon characters. That's pretty brilliant. Yes, um, because he, he could have put, you know, some other cartoon character in there. The, he did put a cartoon character in in the garage when uh, Halloran is coming up to go to the Overlook. There is a 1950s cartoon playing in the background and Julie Kearns picked it out or found out what it was, maybe through somebody else. Huh. It's always something like that. But um, there was there's another cartoon about a, a flea that's trying to take a vacation and quit the circus and he's called back into action or something. And, and that's kind of like the, the character 
that's at the garage. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like he's like, nah, he's not really interested in going up to the Overlook or helping out mm-hmm. so much. Like, ah, what do you want with that place up there? He's got his yeah. call to help out. Good evening, fire service. Hello, my name is Dick Halloran. I'm the head chef up at the Overlook Hotel. Good evening, Mr. Halloran. What can I do for you? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there, but the operator said that the phone lines are down. Yeah, I'm afraid a lot of lines around here are down due to the storm. Well, look, sir, I hate to put you through any trouble, but there's a family up there all by themselves with a young kid. And with this storm and everything, I'd sure appreciate it if you give them a call on your radio just to see if everything's okay. If you guys want, you can interpret so much in Kubrick's films, The Shining and and 2001, through a technique. It's a post-surrealism technique that GW Pabst used to use uh-huh. called new objectivity. Okay. Or get this, new sobriety. And it is a way to interpret characters through the things that are surrounding them. Like like the books in the in the apartment that are surrounding mm-hmm. the doctor and Wendy. There's you know, there's uh, Rumor Godden's book um, in this house of Breed up there. There's a lot you can read into. And that's the whole point of this okay. sort of reading these literary devices. Interesting. Because in that are, had Dora's box, you can totally see that the, the character uh, of, uh, of uh, Lola is entirely based on the, the material, what you know about her from the material that surrounds her. Okay. Mm. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I no, no, that's brilliant. I, and I, I love add-ins like that. That's, that's the whole purpose of this is to advance the conversation on Kubrick, which never seems to really get going. Just like it's easy to have empathy for Hal. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel deeply empathetic towards Hal. Like more than Pyle, mm-hmm. like like it's it, his his story goes even further. I I think than maybe Pyle's, but maybe that's not fair, and I shouldn't I shouldn't gauge those two together. But Hal is is very very deep, and you know down to his programming, um, you know that he's actually sentient, and he's not. He doesn't want to be a sentinel. He's overtasked. Mm-hmm. You can tell he's kind of overtasked when he hiccups. About the AE35 malfunction. Yeah. He also hiccups because he's lying, I think. Yeah, the, the cross-programming. We talk about Hal's innocence and how it was tampered with via the programming. And through his like mission, having to suppress details and lie to you know the awake crew, it slowly started to crack at his facade. And that innocence yeah. and experience kind of Blake contrast is part of all these movies. Certainly these how, three. How old is he in the film? He's like, is it 11? Yeah, that's right. Because he went online in 90. Yeah, I think so. And we're in 2001. I mean, it's even earlier. He's even more of a child. He's Danny's age, but with all of the (laughs) hubris and the facts loaded in. Wow. Yeah. And and how to me looks like an amalgam of the three torrents, the three torrents mom, dad and and the kid. Yeah, but, you know, can anyone say that that's what's actually happening? I know it just kind of looks that way. It works, though, certainly from just, you know, from a writer's perspective, splitting the character uh, points of view and, and the, the the character traits all sync up to different parts of how Maybe that's why we're always so fascinated and so empathetic, because 
he's the most you know we've said before on the show for intentionally the most well-rounded character in the movie but it's the most reactionary most too a lot of, you know a lot of the scenes with hal are kind of he's emotional yeah. yeah and he's doing the most work yeah. mm-hmm. as caretaker basically to this the ship and he is the ship that he's taking care of i i think he's once he kills pool and leaves bowman outside his screens go kind of calm mm. they're not bouncing around as much mm-hmm. and i feel like it's a kind of you know washing my hands of that things <laughs> yeah. are good now <laughs> yeah He's certainly want to ignore that airlock problem for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> All the triggers are gone, though, at least, you know, this this social anxiety can take a break. <laughs> They're not always looking over my shoulders. These lesser beings trying to think they know more than I do. Tired of playing chess with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Tired of trying to figure out how this putz can lose to chess and r- realize that he really won. How many times can I pretend but- that this guy lost to chess and he doesn't know it? That's, That's another thing hilarious. about him lying in that chess game he's mm-hmm. he's lying he doesn't frank had like two more moves that he could have made <laughs> i have heard this yeah and apparently kubrick put it in there on purpose to see if any eagle-eyed uh, as fans. a big chess lover himself yeah. yeah sure and more to how's lying one about mm-hmm. the antenna the other one about the chess game i mean it wasn't really being fair he could have said frank you have at least one more move that you could make. Because Wes, you were saying, right? It's in the book, Clark talks about how many times he's allowed to lose, right? <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of specifically written that how kind of gives him a game every now and then, just lets him win, but. For morale? <laughs> yeah, just for him. <laughs> Maybe that's a difference between the book and the movie is Kubrick's a little more <laughs> rigorous on what what would Hal actually Hal had his motives Hal was I don't know maybe he was yeah tired of these unintelligent humans um, but I think he liked Dave I yeah. think Dave showed him his art yeah he asked him yeah. how his day was going he seems Very genuinely personal. upset and betrayed when Dave is the one to turn him off mm. to deactivate him I should say mm. him off isn't strong enough to kill him mm. the death of Hal yeah and at the very bottom of his programming is this song that's always like on loop about a girlfriend he'll never attain (laughs) oh my god oh wow poor guy trying to get on this bicycle for two yeah i know and he already he's he's already you know he's craving body parts hey he can't ride a bicycle Bicycle. (laughs) do you think hell's daisy is the other hal 9000 back on earth oh right now that's an interesting thought This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.